0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Thank you. I know you guys have been saying that already, but I'm really glad to be here with you right now. And I uh, just want to say hello. Also, especially greet those of you who are not here in this room right now, but who are going to be joining us a little bit later in this morning, also online and via broadcast, and say, I'm really glad you guys are here. And on a busy Easter morning, we can't all even be in the same room at the same time, but I celebrate that we're able to be here together on Easter morning and learn about death and life and the certainty of the future. I want to start today by telling you a story about a time that I learned something about the uncertainty of the future. And I learned this lesson while I was in college. And unlike most lessons you learn when you're in college, this one I learned actually in a class. And it was in my economics class that I took my senior year, my required econ 101 class, and i have been putting it off and putting it off, doing other things. I finally had to take it so I could graduate, and I totally lucked out. And I got one of these professors who kind of got tired of his own lecture notes, you know, and decided, I'm going to start having some fun now. And so he had all these creative, fun ways to teach us things, and it was great for me. One day he wanted to teach us about the effect of future uncertainty on present economic decisions. Did any of you just fall asleep while I was saying that? Are we okay? So, but he made that really fun. So he came into class, and on the lecture table at the front of the room, he laid out $1,000 in cash. $1,000, 10 $100 bills, and for the first time in three and a half years of college, every student in the classroom was tuned in, right? <laughs> He says, okay, let me ask you a question. If I were to give you this money right now, if I said you can have $1,000 cash, no conditions, no strings attached, you just leave with the money, how many of you would take that deal? Whoa, hands went up, right? Again, first time in college, all the hands go up like this. He's okay, let me explain, let me ask you another question. What if I said I'll give you this money right now today, no conditions, or if you don't take it right now, come back to my office 10 years from today, and I will give you the same $1,000, it'll still be here. How many of you would take that deal? Not many hands went up, right? I mean, 10 years from now, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe he's not there anymore. Maybe we're not there anymore. Maybe $1,000 is worth a dime. Maybe, you know, who knows what happens? Maybe he loses the money between now and then. Too much uncertainty. What if he said, I would offer you this money. If you pass it up today, come back to my office in 10 years, I'll give you $10,000. Would you take that deal? A lot of hands went up. Said, yeah, I'll take the risk for that. I'll risk the uncertain future for that. How many of you, if I said, you you pass up a thousand dollars right now, come back to me in 10 years, what if I gave you a million dollars in cash? Would you take that? Woohoo! Every hand goes up on that, right? He said, here's what I want you to know. Some of you raised your hands. some of you didn't on different ones. That's because some of us are more certain about the future. Some of us are less certain about the future. But all of us are uncertain about the future. All of us are unsure about the future at some level. And this not only affects the economic decisions we make, it affects different decisions that we make in our lives all the time. In fact, psychiatrists tell us that our brains are developed not to deal very well with the future because it's so uncertain. I learned this when I was listening to an interview on the radio a few months ago when it was winter, which I know could have been last weekend also, but it was really a few months ago in winter, I was driving my truck and heard this interview with two women both in their 80s, lifelong friends. They'd lived remarkable, interesting lives. And one of them, when she was in her 50s, had been a smoker. And she really wanted to quit. She tried everything she could to quit. She asked her friend to help her quit. And nothing would do it. And she knew. She knew the risks that, you know, 20 years down the road or something, she had a much higher risk for lung cancer, heart disease, emphysema, all that stuff. But that. Was so long from now. You know, it's like 20 years from now. Who knows what might happen? I think she said in an interview, I could get hit by a bus between now and then. At least I want to be smoking. <laughs> I don't know. The future's so uncertain. What if they find a cure between now and then? She wanted to quit, but the future was just too far away. So she understood something about human nature. She understood that she needed to move the consequences of her actions into the present if it was going to have any ability to compete with the present pleasure of what she called that beautiful, long first drag on a new cigarette. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about and some of you I just tempted to go out back for a break and I apologize for that, I didn't mean to do that. So what she did is she called up her friend and she made a solemn vow. And she said the next time I light up a cigarette, I am going to make a $5,000 donation to the Ku Klux Klan. (laughs) And she never smoked again. (laughs) Now, I'm not advocating anybody make any donations to the KKK. Those of you who are seeing this on recording, not happening. Don't make any donations to the KKK. But it was the horror of that thought brought into the present that changed everything for her. She understood the uncertainty of the future. We are all unsure about the future, and we are developmentally, neurologically wired not to deal very well with the future, which puts us in a big dilemma, when it comes to that thing about our future that is at the same time the most mysterious and also the most certain, right? I'm talking about the reality that of all the billions and billions and billions of people who have ever lived on planet Earth, only a few of us are still here. Your ability to be here today, eyes open, hearts beating, lungs breathing, puts you in a small minority and the day is coming when all of us are going to join the silent majority. Whenever I think about this, I remember the guy, a guy I saw years and years ago wearing a printed t-shirt and on the t-shirt it said, life is like a roller coaster. It's not the ups and downs that scare me so much. It's that sudden stop at the end, <laughs> a sudden stop at the end. And You know, among our community here, some of us might think we're closer to that stop than others of us. Some of you are not ever thinking about that sudden stop at the end because it's so, so far away and we don't deal with the future. Just to be totally honest with you, on a day-to-day basis, I don't think about that very often, or at least I didn't until a couple weeks ago. (laughs) I was teaching a class. I was teaching a class for future pastors and church leaders and at the school where I was teaching, it's their custom there that students come up before class and after class to the front of the room and pray for the professor. I think it's a great custom they have there. It's really powerful and moving. And at the beginning of class, they did that. At the end of class, a few students came up, and they prayed for me. And this one really young guy, early 20s, he's on my right side over here, puts his hand on my shoulder. He kind of lays hands on me. He's praying for me. Really kind prayer. And he prays, God, we just thank you so much for Dr. Turnbull and his willingness to come and share with us while we're here. And it's really sincere. I'm really grateful for his prayer. And then he goes, and God, we pray that you would bless him and make his ministry fruitful, even in the second half of his life. <laughs> what? Oh, <laughs> like, Did I miss halftime? When was halftime? You know? And all of a sudden, I'm like way closer to the finish line than I was to the starting line. If we hadn't been praying, I'd have decked him, you know? Now, some of you I recognize at this moment have absolutely no sympathy for me. And like, that's cool, I can take it, I understand. Some of you are laughing at me and that's okay too because your day is coming. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of people when I started telling that story, some of you started doing some real quick math going, what am I halfway to, what is that? <laughs> and I kind of th- thought about putting a little calculator in the bulletin this morning on a little table you could follow. The truth is that no matter what number you came up with, the finish line is out there and we are all running toward it. I mean, every single one of us is closer than we were when we started today and every human being who has ever lived on planet Earth has had to come to terms with their own questions about what happens after that. What happens after we die? Now, one of the great human fears is that the answer to that question is nothing. Nothing comes next. Nothing happens after that. You die and then you're dead. Do you guys know the name Mel Blank? Does that ring any bells for anybody here? People used to call him the man of a thousand voices. He did a lot of cartoon voices. His most famous voice was the voice of Porky Pig. Now I don't know if any of you will fess up to ever having watched or seen reruns of Porky Pig cartoons, but if you ever did, you know how they end. Every episode ends exactly the same way, and just for fun, I brought along a few seconds from the end of a Porky Pig episode to show you right now. If we could roll that video, this is how it always ended. When Mel Blanc died, do you know what he had them put on his tombstone? (laughs) Yep, that's all folks. In fact, this is Mel Blanc's tombstone right there. That's all folks. One of our greatest fears is that's the case, that at the end, that's all folks. There were people in Jesus' life and times who thought that, believed that, feared that, and taught that. There were Greek philosophers who taught people that the meaning of life is, have a good time now, because this is all you get. There were some Jewish leaders in Jesus' day, particularly the group that we read about in the Bible called Sadducees. They especially were powerful people who lived in Jerusalem, and they taught people, this life is all you get. Sometimes I thought that's no coincidence. The people who were living the best, most powerful lives now were the ones with the least use for hope for the future. That's what they taught people. That's all, folks. That's all you get. And when they were were opponents of Jesus, and when they got so sick and tired of Jesus, they finally put him to death, I imagine they thought that was a pretty good day because they're, now they're done with them. That's it, nothing happens next. That's all, folks. <laughs> and They were in for a real shocker on Easter Sunday and Monday and Tuesday when the guy who was supposed to have no future anymore is suddenly he was once dead and now he's alive again. And all these things that looked real uncertain were all of a sudden a whole lot more certain because Jesus was certainly dead. He would stick a sword in his side dead, lay him in a tomb and put the rock in front dead. And then he was certainly alive He was walk around, eat food, put your hand right here and see the wounds in my hand, really alive. And that was a game changer for them. That changed all the rules of the game. Suddenly, that's not all, folks. Suddenly, the sudden stop at the end is not the end anymore. And from the resurrection of Jesus, we learn along with them that the first thing the future is, is certain. It's not uncertain. It's not sure, unsure anymore. The future is really there. It's really certain, which I think a lot of us need to know but I think that's not all that most of us want to know about the future. We don't just want to know that it's there. We want to know what it's like, what is out there in that future. And the second thing that we learn from Easter, from the resurrection of Jesus, the future is not only there, but it's wonderful. It is unimaginably wonderful, which is a little different from the present, isn't it? Because the present is not always wonderful. One more quiz for you. Do you know the name Edgar Allan Poe? Have you heard of the poet Edgar Allan Poe? He wrote one poem that's famous enough for me to know. (laughs) It's a poem about a guy who lost the love of his life. He lost the love of his life and her name, by the way, was Lenore. And in this poem, he has questions. He's asking these deep searching questions. Can I ever get her back? Can I ever be happy in life again? Is there any hope for me at all? And in this poem, there's one more character, a big black bird a raven who answers his questions. Now, public service announcement for you. If in your dreams the answers are coming from a raven, not a good sign, right? The raven answers his questions with one word. He repeats it over and over again. Some of you know what that word is. For those of you who don't know, I'll give you a hint. It rhymes with Lenore. (laughs) Nevermore, nevermore, quoth the raven, nevermore. I think Edgar Allan Poe was in touch with the reality of life in this world without Jesus, what you lose in this life, including your life, is gone. You're not getting it back, not Lenore, whatever his or her name is in your life, not your health, not your strength, not your youth, not your missed opportunities, not the first half of my life. <laughs> or yours. Never more, never more. But the promise of God in the resurrection of Jesus is that not only do you get life back, but you get back the life you actually wanted in the first place. We get the life that God created our hearts to desire and hunger for, not the one that's broken in our lives right now. The Bible says in the great vision, in the, in the great vision of God's future new creation called the book of Revelation, it says that God's future for us, his new world, will be a place where there'll be no more, no more pain, no more crying, no more mourning, no more dying, no more death, and God himself will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I mean, imagine that. The last tear you ever shed, no more. <laughs> the last tear you ever shed, God himself wipes that away. That's the promise of God's future. But here in the present, we still experience some of that pain. Some of us experience that pain in a relational way, like the guy in the poem. I mean, it happens to us in all different kind of ways. But we know what that's like, emptiness, and pain, and regret, and loneliness. I want to tell you a story of eternal hope. It's a story of an Irish Catholic woman who lived long ago, and a Dutch Protestant man. And the two of them had the foolish sense to fall in love with one another when that was a no-no in their world. And they went against both their families' wishes when they did this. They offended their own communities and circles of friends. And sad to say, they went against the commands of their churches also. And even when they were buried, even when they were buried, they couldn't be buried next to one another because she had to be buried in the cemetery for Irish Catholics and he had to be buried in the cemetery for Dutch Protestants. But this couple knew something. They understood the hope of God in Jesus Christ to heal what is broken and divided in this world and to put it all back together again. And so these are their tombstones. These are their tombstones. Isn't that beautiful? Right over the wall that was supposed to divide them, they are united again for all eternity. They understood the hope of God in Jesus Christ to heal what's broken in this world, and now there stands a long-standing monument, carved, etched in stone monument, to the hope of God's new life in Jesus Christ. And I think that's beautiful. Some of us experience brokenness in this present life in our relationships. Some of us experience brokenness in this present life in our bodies, in our minds. We've got diseases and disability and sickness and pain. It happens to us in our own bodies. It happens sometimes to our kids or our parents, our brothers and sisters, friends, loved ones. There's pain. And I want to tell you a story of eternal hope. It's a story that a friend of mine shared with me within the last year. It's a story of a young boy named Matthew. Matthew had spent his entire life in a wheelchair. He was born with very severe disabilities and his parents knew that before he was born. And when he was born, nobody expected him to live for more than a few hours. And somehow by the grace of God, Matthew made it to his 10th birthday. And in his 10 years, he brought all kinds of unforeseeable joy to his family and to many, many other people before in his 10th year, he succumbed eventually to the consequences of his disease. And yet his family, his Christian family, knew the hope of God in Jesus Christ. They understood the promise of life and the resurrection of Jesus. And so this is his tombstone. Isn't that beautiful? That is a long-standing, carved in stone, etched in stone testimony, witness to the hope of God to bring life and healing in Jesus Christ, to the future that God has promised us that began among us on Easter and goes on forever and ever. Friends, hear me when I tell you that God loves his world and God loves the people in his world And he hates the power of sin and death and evil that wrecks our lives and hurts us, breaks our relationships and our bodies. And on Easter morning, when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and Jesus was certainly alive again, God struck the decisive victory blow against the powers of sin and death and evil that hurt us so much. And so now, quoth the raven nevermore? Stop listening to birds. God says there'll be life evermore, evermore. Evermore, that's the promise of God in Jesus Christ. So the future is certain and the future is unimaginably wonderful in Christ and because of Jesus, the future is also one more thing. The future is a present invitation. It's an invitation to receive this gift of certainty of eternal life and to receive this gift of, certain, of a certainty of a wonderful eternal life. But it is also the invitation to begin to live this life right now, to join the long train of other followers of Jesus Christ who have come before us and those who have come after us, who have begun to live the courageous adventure of living life in the hope and way of Jesus right now. We said, I don't don't have to wait for all that right now. Let's see God's way begin to take root among us. And so I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ who said, well, is God's future gonna be a future where relationships are put back together and characterized by forgiveness? Well, then I'm gonna live for that right now. I don't have to wait. Will that be hard? Yeah. Might that look weird sometimes? Maybe. Will I be swimming upstream? Fine. I don't care. I wanna live that life right now. And friends, you're invited into God's future for you that begins right now. I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ who have said, is God's future a future of healing where there'll be no more sickness and dying and crying and death and mourning and pain? Then I'm gonna live for healing right now. So so followers of Jesus Christ have prayed for healing and worked for healing. So I'm talking on the one hand about angels of mercy who have brought blankets and water and company to the sick and the dying. And I'm talking about doctors and Nurses and researchers and medical professionals of all kinds who have founded hospitals and invented therapies and distributed medicines and just generally cared about those who are sick and hurting. Because that's God's future, so let's start now. I mean, there's a reason why there are still so many hospitals all around this metro area and around the country. They're still called things like St. Joseph and St. John and Mercy. And it's because followers of Jesus Christ said, that's the future that we've glimpsed in the resurrection of Jesus. And I don't want to wait. Let's live for it right now, and you're invited. You're invited to live your life in the courageous, impactful adventure of following Jesus in this life. And I'm talking about and thinking about followers of Jesus Christ who know that Jesus said that one day the last shall be first and the first shall be last, and all God's people are gonna sit together around one banquet table as one big family of God. And they said, you know what, we're gonna start living like the family of God right now. And that means we're gonna care about one another. And so in the history of our Christian people, those who have had more have been committed to caring about those who have less. And in the Bible it says let's do that because sometimes those who don't have plenty right now will later have plenty. And when those of us who have plenty right now don't, we'll care about each other again. And the result of that in the history of the early church it says that the result of that is that there were no needy persons among them. I mean, really. It says there were no needy persons in their community anymore. That's amazing. Because nowhere in our experience... No system of human government or social care from the left side to the right side has ever been able to create that result because it has not had the capacity to change the human heart, to eternalize human vision, to convert the human imagination, to move us to create that reality. But the resurrection of Jesus can and has accomplished that in the history of our own people. You're invited. You're invited in the hope and life of Jesus Christ in the present. And I'm talking about followers of Jesus Christ who have heard or seen or read how Jesus looked on and saw the beauty and the humanity and the value and the eternity behind every pair of eyes he ever saw. And so Jesus never met an ordinary mortal. He never met a human being that could be disregarded, but he saw the value and eternity in everybody. And so followers of Jesus said if that's what Jesus saw and that's the future, then we are committed to seeing the beauty and the value and the humanity and the eternity of every human being who ever lived. And so never again, never again am I gonna let another human being be nothing but a step on my road or a rung on my ladder or the victim of my greed or the object of my lust or the means to my end or an interruption in my day, or an interruption to my life. But I see them as no longer just some ordinary mortal, but a beloved precious child of God, a creature designed for eternity. And this has accomplished everything from the saving of marriages, to kindness to strangers, to the abolition of slavery. And friends, you're invited. You're invited into the hope and life, the beauty and the power of life with Jesus Christ right now. And I wanna invite you to say yes. I invite you to say yes to the hope and life of Jesus Christ right now. And I know that for some of us who are gathered here today and all throughout this morning, this will be your first yes to Jesus Christ. Your next step with Jesus will be your first one. And if that's you this morning, oh man, I celebrate with you. I rejoice with you. I celebrate for the new life that is beginning today in you. And if that's you, I'd love it if you would like tell me or one of our pastors or staff people after the service, find someone with a name tag on, tell the person who brought you along with them this morning so that we can just pray for you and celebrate with you and just walk with you into the rest of your life. And if if this is you taking your next step with Jesus for like the 50th or 100th time, then I celebrate with you. That you're moving forward into the power and hope of the risen Jesus, and I celebrate the kind of life that God is creating in you and for you, and I celebrate the hope and the kind of community that God is creating in us together. And all together right now, I want us to have this opportunity to just surrender our hearts before Jesus, to receive the gift and say yes to the invitation he's given us, and to pray together for the power of his life to take root in us. So let's, let's pray together. God, we worship you and give you thanks because we know that Jesus is alive. Because we know there really is hope, that that's not all folks, that this is not the end. And God, I pray that by your spirit, you would work in our hearts and work in our lives. And God, fill us with faith and hope and courage and love for one another. And God, I pray for all of us who are taking new steps with you this morning, that you would be present to us. I mean, God, send us your spirit so we would know you and be taught to trust you. And God, I pray for those of us who are taking next steps with you where we've taken steps before. But God, I pray that in all the situations that we find ourselves, in all the present pain and loneliness and hurt, that you would fill us with the hope of your wonderful future and that you would knit us together, God, into a community where we can hold one another up, care about one another, and experience your joy here in the present. God, we pray and we live in the name of the living Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.